Welcome to Truth is Stranger Than Fiction. Here's the guy who asks all the right questions. Your host, Ralph DeLugas. Welcome, welcome to another exciting show this week, guys. You are on the Loving Liberty Network. I am your humble, truth-seeking host, Ralph DeLugas, coming from you, as always, from the uh, great Sanhedrin Valley of Salt Lake City. Um, We have an extra special show this week. Uh, Eric Smith from the great Mecca of Light and Truth, Rexburg, Idaho, (laughs) is with us as a special guest. He, Some of you might recognize him from The Julie Rowe Show. He's written several books, one of which we're going to talk about today, The Church of the Firstborn. He's also an author of several other books, uh, Julie Rowe's Autobiography, um, Doctrines of Ascension. Do I have that right, Eric? Believe yeah, that's it. Of ascensions, uh, multiple probations, some really exciting stuff. He's here to uh, chime in on some of the things going on in our wonderful world and to talk about some of the exciting things we see coming. So I think, like always, we're going to start out talking about just a couple things um, briefly because Eric's new here. Let's let's just really briefly review why we're here. Um, as you guys now well know. Um, All the governments of this world uh, are not only corrupt, but they have institutionalized corruption. And this is done through gold, silver, money, tyrants who destroy. You guys know the drill. And thanks to this, we have Lucifer and Cain ruling from their high towers in wherever. The Tower of Moloch, Moloch in Switzerland, I like to call it. But we know that they control all of academia as well. And this is kind of one of the things that... Why we're here, um, things like, you guys know the story, the, the Darwinian evolution and the, the Big Bang Theory and, and just the bad, the bad science we're taught for lies. Um, I wanted to focus briefly this week, and Eric, you worked for NASA, right? I did, yeah. I had a little contract with them for did several you? months. Well, you won't be offended. They're, they're kind of uh, usually the um, – <laughs> One of the people we like to pick on around here, um, <laughs> along with the NSF and uh, NIST, uh, NOAA, those guys. It just seems like, you know, a lot of people don't realize these are all under the care and control of the CIA. I don't know about NASA, but the NSF and all of the all of the um, experts that decide what is true and not true in our world. So. Um, couple of the stories. I don't want to really talk about Bill Gates today. You guys probably heard about his patent, 060606, the cryptocurrency. Did you hear about that, Eric? I just heard about it. I didn't go into any detail. I, tried I to read it because I thought this has got to be made up nonsense, right? There's no way that he has patent 060606 and it's a crypto chip, right? But it, everywhere I, I looked, four or five different sites, including on the world site, and uh, Ron Paul has it on his site. Just in case you, uh, people have asked me, is this is this the mark of the beast, Ralph? You know what? Who knows? Who cares? It's a chip from Bill Gates, right? This guy's as evil as the day is long. Chip bad, don't take it. Same thing with the vaccine. I don't know. That, that's my opinion. You can do what you like. We have technology now where they could actually put microchips and nano nanobots in the in a, a syringe and inject it into your body. So in my opinion, nothing's going in my body, but. Um, I want to talk really briefly about the galactic current sheet. We have another uh, couple stories out. 
Mysterious Brightening of the Galactic Core. Um, Eric, you, you've heard about this, right? How, how the, the center of the, our core of our galaxy seems to be getting brighter. Um, right. Yeah, I've heard of that. There's a lot of stories out on this, and it's. I always find it so ironic. Eric, I a lot of times here like to pick on black holes, and we've got another story here of uh, another black hole eating a star. This seems to be something they just love to write these stories about, and they never really have any proof other than these uh, computer, uh, high-tech computer models that show these really cool pictures of this star swirling around like like, you know, a piece of toilet paper in a toilet bowl and getting eaten by a star. But if you look into the science of this, it's kind of an irony um, that what comes from the center of our galaxy is massive currents upon which the stars are formed. Um, and these stars, like giant transformers, put out their wind, which is what powers the uh, planets. It's almost like I've heard this somewhere before. Oh, I know. Yeah, in scriptures. Um, so what we observe matches what the Lord says. But for some reason, that's never what we're taught. We're taught there's a supermassive black hole there. All the stars are hydrogen reactors, even though none of the data ever supports that. It's an ongoing thing. Um, I don't want to spend a ton of time on on this story. Um, I think we should. Did you get a chance to look at that uh, article I sent you about the Earth Day speech from the Pope, Eric? Yeah, I did. I glanced over it. I, I think I, it bears... Yeah, go ahead. Well, I just I can't spend too much time on that stuff. Honestly, it makes me yeah. physically sick. But but I think there's something going on over there in the Vatican that I think is worth you know looking at. Yeah, I I'm like I'm with you. I like to just take little glimpses. I didn't read the whole article. I just got down to the Pope uh, gave a an Earth Day speech where he basically uh, said that the this coronavirus is the Earth's reaction to us not taking global warming more serious. And I just thought, wow, this guy who's, yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to, I, I love, I have a lot of great Catholic friends and they're great Christians. And I know a lot of bishops and, and cardinals are speaking out against uh, him taking off the name of uh, Christus on his uh, review a couple of weeks ago. I just think it's another, I like to kind of just notice these things and move along just because I'm. Um, yeah, it's like bathing in the sewer if you spend too much time in this. <laughs> well, um, Eric, I, I think without any further ado, let, let's talk about um, why you're here. Let's talk about your book, The Church of the Firstborn. Um, why did you write this book? What is The Church of the Firstborn and why did you write it? And, and anything you've, you feel to introduce this topic? Sounds good. Well, thanks for having me here, Ralph. And um, I just want to first say that I love your science. I love your science mind and... Uh, and your freedom for your love for freedom. And so I just admire you. And it's really cool to be here. But, um, you know, several months ago, a friend and I, I just met this guy named Greg Christensen this year, about January this year. And we we realized right away that we had a lot in common in terms of the way we think and approach our study of scripture and doctrine. And um, and even just in the way we, we think in general. And we thought it'd be good. We had similar doctrinal interests, so we teamed up and wrote the book, Multiple Probations, and that was released, oh, February, I think, or January this year. Um, that led to just a really great relationship, working relationship with him, and we had a bunch of research of things that we've done th throughout our lives and together at that point, and 
Um, so I don't know, a month after we finished that book, it just kind of came up. Greg texted me one morning with this great scripture that from the Book of Mormon that I had read many times in my life and have never had, a, a, I guess, a thorough explanation of what that scripture meant. And so I've studied it a lot. And it was so cool to me that he started this conversation with that scripture. And, and it happened to be on this subject of the Church of the Firstborn. My interpretation matched his own interpretation, which was unique. And um, I, I, I jokingly said to him in a text, well, half serious, I guess. You know, Greg, we could write another book on this. And anyway, that started this book. So that's that's how it got started. That's interesting. I, I have to tell you, um, two minutes left. Well, let me sh share this. This might kind of help people, you know, other laymen like me who are kind of new to this topic um, might help introduce it to them a bit. I, I was, as some of you have probably heard, I spent um, 20 years of my life outside of the church that I was raised in. Um, living entirely for myself, building a business. I mean, I wasn't a bad dude, I don't think, but I didn't have a lot to do with church. And in about the year 2010, 2011, I started feeling just this powerful draw to go back to the church of my of my youth, which is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints for me. And um, within about six months, I came across a book called Visions of Glory, which... Uh, had a profound effect on me. I devoured other books, uh, one of which by Julie Rowe, uh, uh, who's now a good friend. Um, Avraham Gileadi and others uh, that I met that kind of taught me the manner of the Jews, I guess, quote unquote, and how to how to read Isaiah. And it just started this um, this big quest, I guess. And, I, and it kind of focused in on a couple things. This day of things, day of the Gentiles, day of the Jews, day of the tribulations, day of the Lord, um, and uh, Church of the Firstborn, uh, Journals of Discourses, Teachings of Joseph Smith. I mean, this first Church of the Firstborn is everywhere. And it started to become a thing of my discussion and being ignorant and not knowing the code. I would speak openly. I, I got called into serve in my church in the elders quorum and i would i would teach this in class and i would get a lot of funny looks talks from the bishop and it didn't take long to realize for some reason even though it is everywhere it's sort of shunned a bit um and so it's cool that you've written this book to teach us layman more about it eric and we will dive into that after this break looking forward to that Welcome back after that short break, everyone. You are on the Loving Liberty Network, and this is Truth is Stranger Than Fiction. We are talking with Eric Smith, author um, of, we're, we're here to talk about his latest book, Church of the Firstborn. And I wanted to get his um, his take on um, on what, what we can expect going forward. A lot of us, if you've listened to us before, we like watching the signs and Clearly, there's been a massive shift of energy and what's going on in our world. And I think this is a topic that can give us great hope. Um, so, Eric, if you could uh, 
maybe enlighten us a bit as to what this church of the firstborn is and where you got it from and and um, how we can learn more about it. Sounds good. Well, Ralph, uh, before you ended the last segment, uh, you said it really well that the, the Church of the Firstborn subject is mentioned in a lot of different places. But ironically, it's not mentioned uh, hardly at all in the place we might expect, at least for me. So I'm also a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And it's been kind of interesting uh, and a wake-up call for me to realize that there are really very interesting scriptures and verses all throughout the LDS canon that um, I've kind of come to see are basically taboo, and you can't really talk about those scriptures, but you can talk about those ones, you know. And and so I've kind of I've come to see or take a great interest in those doctrines and those scriptures, and and I guess you could say I'm a little bit troubled by the fact that they are taboo. To me, anything that's scriptural based should be fair game to discuss and in a, in public settings and church settings. But but again, like I said, I've I've almost never heard the phrase church of the firstborn in church settings. And so that's not why I've researched it, but other things have led to a study of this. But what is it? And um there's so many different things that and doctrines and scriptures that tie into this theme. I think it's probably one of the more important that we can be, you know, studying and discussing at this time right now. I, I agree. That's, you know, I, I noticed when I, when I um, kind of got back into church and I read this visions of glory, I gave this book to a, a, a lady, a woman, and she was the, our gospel doctrine teacher in our church. And she taught uh, Institute at BYU uh, she was and the temple prep class. I mean, I became pretty good friends with this lady and I considered her like an expert. Now it's Eric Smith because she's moved away. But And <laughs> no. I read this book and I was like, wow. Um, and I gave it to her because I was like, is this on the is this legit? And she brought it back the very next day. Eyes all poofy. I thought, oh, I'm going to get chewed out. Like, Have I done wrong here? And she read the entire book was up all night, brought it back to me and said, there is not a word in here. That is uh, the contradict scripture anywhere. This is an amazing book. Um, and she was deeply moved by it. But I've noticed other people, it makes them actually angry. Um, mm -hmm. This isn't in the gospel doctrine manual. So don't even bring it up, you apostate turkey, right? right. Why do you think that is? I, the culture, you know, this, is a, this has become a buzzword for me in the things that I've been writing about and researching. We have this culture that's been brewing for the last 180, 190 years of, um, oh, I, don't, I don't know how, how far to go into this, but just to, you have to be careful what you think, feel, and say. And, and if you don't, there can be retribution. And, and this, this is in church settings. And so this is one of the major, one of the themes of the book is um, the day of the Gentiles and what that means. And we, we read in scripture about the day of the Gentiles and a Gentile church. And we we go into what that means and who that is specifically, but and in that church, it it um, in the Gentile church, what we try to point out in this book is that it has a different end that um, most people who are members of that Gentile church might believe or might see coming. And it's the surprising thing is it's very scriptural and very doctrinal. And so one of our objectives was to shed light on that church and, and how 
um, scripturally, it comes to an end and then gives birth to this church of the firstborn. So um, you you ask why that is. There's just been a, a brutal culture brewing that's hard to put an end to. And um, I think that's one of the reasons that we read so much in scripture about the day of tribulations coming. It, it's, it seems to be the Lord's way of of putting an end to impure beliefs that just can't be put away otherwise. And so that's another theme that's touched on in the book, the tribulations and what, what that's all about and why that happens. That is a, that is an interesting topic indeed. And maybe perhaps in one of our later segments, we can get into that a little bit more. Um, I I'm curious. I know I've one in my little studies, I've heard a great deal in lots of scripture and other places uh, from prophets modern day as well of this great sifting and much is speculated as to what that sifting is. I've heard some people say even the the book Visions of Glory, it was kind of like the first NDE book like that that came out, at least at least it got that popular. Um, I've heard people say that's even the sifter, which I don't believe. Um, what what about this sifting? What is this sifting, and how many groups are going to be sifted out, and what are they going to do? <laughs> well, I don't know the answers to all those questions. I've had the same sort of questions myself, but I, I know that the sifting looks a little different than maybe what most people are expecting. I think some people think of the sifting as my church versus your church, mm-hmm. my belief versus your belief, and i what may become a surprise to most people is that the sifting is taking place right in front of our own eyes in our very families, in our congreg, our, in our religious congregations, in our workplaces. That there's this, that it's really not about church at all. It's really about beliefs and the heart. And mm-hmm. it, right, and so you can see. I, I used to, I don't know how to say this. I used to, I guess I was sort of raised thinking my church was the best church, and basically every every other church is wrong and is bad, and, you know, they'll the Lord will deal with them one day sort of thing. And, mm-hmm. and I've, I've really started to come to see that even within my church, there are wolves, there are sheep, they're good, there's bad. And I've seen the same in other churches. It, it's, sure. you know, there, there's no preference to who gets the bad, the wolves, you know, it's, it's, you said it in the beginning, right? That when you were talking about government institutions and agencies, we are infiltrated at every level and um, and so, yeah, the siftings, it's taking place right in front of our eyes, you know? Yeah, that's interesting that you say that. I've, I've, I've kind of had that same thought, and I think we've, we've mentioned here before, too, that the, um, the Jews had kind of the same mindset. And I'll, I'll bet every person in Jerusalem assumed that the long-awaited Messiah would sit in the highest seats of the top synagogue, whatever that position is. And like I believe is said, uh, is it in Matthew, uh, that the— that uh, nothing good comes from Nazareth. It certainly they didn't expect a carpenter. Um, so it, it, it seems like God has a pattern there and, and scriptures tend to repeat themselves. And I know I've heard that same sort of uh, talk um, in lots of churches. And I think the day of the Gentiles could be con- considered, I know it started, you know, uh, after the Savior was crucified, probably technically, but the founding of America and, and the beacon of Christianity and truth and liberty that it was, and look at what we've become, right? So I mm-hmm. think there is, 
no one single church that will be there. I, I think uh, I can't imagine the Lord coming down and saying, okay, the answer is uh, Southern Baptists, the rest of you on my left. I, I, can't, yeah, I, yeah. I can't believe God would, would do that. Um, but yeah, we tend to get in our little groups and and our tribal things. And so, yeah, I'm, I think we're running up against a break, but maybe when we come back, um, there's a couple common reoccurring things I would love to get your insight on. Uh, maybe the left hand of the Lord and the right hand of the Lord and making bare his holy arm. We see this over and over in lots of scriptures. Um, uh, the literal explanation maybe of that, maybe a little symbolic talk um, and what we can expect coming up in the days ahead. And we will dive into that with our great guest, Eric Smith, after this short break. Everybody, welcome back. We are continuing our discussion with our extra special guest, Eric Smith, author of Church of the Firstborn. Um, before the break, we had kind of talked about possibly talking about this servant um, and what that means. I, I know Brigham Young, someone I respect as a prophet, said once that the saints in this day, and I, I, I think by saints we can extend that to just Christianity, all, all that are looking and waiting for him, we're going to get it just as wrong as the Jews did when they were looking for a temporal savior. Um, Eric, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think you're right. One of the themes in this book is that it, it begins on this idea of the Jews that you just spoke about, the Sadducees and Pharisees and the culture of their day and how they were looking for a Messiah figure. And we we know that, you know, Christians nowadays are also looking for the second return of the Messiah, but it's a little different than the, what the Jews were expecting. But the point I want to draw in here is even even those few members who, or, or scriptorians who are researching um, a Messiah figure in the last days, we know that there will be one, and, it, and he's often referred to as the Davidic servant. And we, uh, me and some of my close friends have a, take a little issue with that phrase because it's not scriptural in the singular sense. You won't find the word Davidic servant in the scriptures. And so in a sense, we are like the Sadducees and Pharisees who are expecting one thing to come. When the reality is, if you look at all the Isaiah verses, and um, there's some in Ezekiel, Jeremiah, uh, doctrine and Covenants each have references to what a lot of people are calling the servant, when in reality it's many different servants, and they each have a different role to play. And that's something that's widely misunderstood. And and so in that sense, I just want to emphasize this point that we're, if you think there's one servant, that we're you're following the footsteps of our Sadducee and Pharisee Very ancestors. Very interesting. Yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out because yeah, I'm I would be in that group. Um, and it is. It sometimes it's hard to understand the context of this servant, especially in Isaiah. Um, th- what about the uh, the right hand of the Lord being this servant versus the left hand of the Lord? Who are who are those, and what do they represent? Well, it might be it might be worth establishing first that this this servant figure, and there there does seem to be scripturally sort of a main one that takes the reins. Um, of the gospel of Jesus Christ for a time, 
and into the millennium. And, and um, I guess you could say ushers in the church of the firstborn. And in that process, as, as this figure seems to take the reins, there seems to be a great sifting that you mentioned earlier in all the churches, in all the kingdoms of the world. And it seems to be that the pure in heart are on the right, of course, and those who have the, the cabal ties and the secret combinations and all the things that you mentioned, the corrupt governments, those. But, the, but those who are pure in heart have this scriptural tendency to gravitate to, to geographically and to gather. And a, another theme of this book is that many people know of the concept of gathering in the last days. What we think is misunderstood is that they think there's one gathering period when we see a clear distinction of two gathering periods. There's one gathering period before tribulations then you have a seven-year-ish period of tribulations, and then you have the big gathering. And and a lot of us, you know, who aren't reading the scriptures think we're in that big gathering, you know? And, and you know, just a giveaway in the scriptures is the phrase, the four quarters of the earth. Anytime you hear that expression, we've found that to refer to the second gathering after the tribulations. And that's the big one, you know, four quarters symbolizing like a completeness, you know, completely covering the earth. And so anyway, there's this there's this great second gathering period and and the gathering. We can learn quite a bit from some of those taboo chapters that we just seldom ever discuss in church circles. One of those, and I might just throw those out, it's Isaiah 56, Ezekiel 34, the big ones, where they talk about um, shepherds in the last days and how they're not feeding the flocks anymore. Um, we, we read how the flocks are being, I guess you could say, victimized or being taken advantage of. And we also read about this servant, one of the servant figures in those verses. But one of the big themes of Isaiah is during the second great gathering period in the formation of the church born is you read this word outcasts frequently. And so I found this very interesting outcasts. So, so if you read this, what you're learning is outcasts are the ones that are going to establish the church of the firstborn. Well, what is an outcast? If you look back in ancient Israelite times, an outcast, if you look at that Hebrew word, literally means banished or excommunicated. So it's those, it seems to be those who are establishing this church of the firstborn were those who were despised by their churches in the former age. Um, you read about the eunuchs, you read about the foreigners who are establishing the church of the firstborn. Um, if, if we all look at our churches that we are part of and, and ask yourself what a foreigner is in a church sense, it's the non-members. It's those who have different beliefs than you. A eunuch has its own symbolism. Um, there's sexual, sexual things that go into that that also play into the church of the firstborn. And the great theme we find here—sorry, I know this is a long-winded answer, but no. we find that the— um, that these outcasts comprise the church of the firstborn. And we read this really beautiful scripture in Isaiah, and I can't remember the reference right now, where it talks about those people can come to the Lord's altar and their sacrifice at his altar will be accepted. 
And that's a really beautiful message of unity and unison and that the Lord is no respecter of persons. He doesn't care what your religion or your faith is. He really cares about the heart and the um, offering that you place on his altar. And so I really look forward to that day when I'm sitting next to a, a Catholic or a Baptist or even somebody from Islam with a pure heart. Yeah. Who And then we, we break bread together and commemorate the Savior's crucifixion and we sing and praise and you know, the, the social divides and religious barriers go away. You know, one of my favorite uh, uh, parables that the Savior taught is the uh, publican that, that smote on his breast and stood away off. And as we all know, publican was a foreign tax collector. Like that, there was no one more repugnant in Jewish society than a foreign tax collector, kind of like today, really. But Right? Um, dirty, right. Yeah. An IRS tax, a <laughs> county property tax auditor. Ew. <laughs> yeah, but the exactly. Savior said, this guy's justified. This 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 super obedient church leader, eh, not so much. So thank you so much. That's super interesting. How much time we got left in this segment, Brian? Three and a half minutes. I, I wanted to talk just briefly. I, I heard something the other day, um, and it's kind of been – Something that I know, Avraham Gileadi, you, you know him, I think, Eric. Yes, I know bit. about Avraham. I've heard things from him, but I haven't. I just have to clarify this so your listeners know that I'm not stealing his ideas. I really haven't done much with him, but I but I respect his work. Yeah, he's he for me, just it's someone that I've kind of glommed on to because I had we're commanded to study Isaiah. And so like probably some of you, I diligently, diligently read it. And it was kind of like eating breakfast that your five-year-old cooks, right? You know, when the toast is black and the, and the eggs are black, you, you kind of muscle through it. But at the end of it, you're like, nom, nom, nom. I had no idea what I was reading. I would read it because it, I was just being diligent. Um, but in learning the manner of the Jews, you start learning what some of these terms like Assyrian king and so forth. And Avraham talks about this left hand of the Lord being uh, the sword that he cleanses, that he hews down the wicked with. Um, and I, I've long kind of been watching China because um, I like to keep an eye on things. I, I'm a defense contractor originally. And so just military things, flying aircraft, all that stuff just kind of interests me, what kind of tanks they're making. And as you watch, and obviously we, they're not sharing everything that they make, but just the new tanks that China and Russia are putting out, uh, how they're preparing their militaries versus our military seems to be based on corruption and tipping out your friends and spending ridiculous amounts of money whether something works good or not, like that latest airplane, that flying rock that they put out, or um, just corruption. They're very purpose-driven, and it seems that their purpose is an invasion um, coming up. And I think we see this in Scripture. Do you think, Eric, that could be part of this left hand of the Lord, this cleansing waters that flow over America that maybe America, like General Washington, even saw back in his vision, if you're familiar with that? Yeah, yeah, I think you're spot on. And my scriptural support for that would be this idea of a remnant. And interestingly, what we're finding, me and me and Greg and some others are finding that there seems to be two scriptural references to remnant. Some are the remnant of a covenant church, and some are the remnant of Israel. And that remnant seems to be sort of um, dark, and they're the ones doing a lot of the trouble. So anyway, that's mm. something we could talk about another time. Let's pick up maybe a remnant after this short break. We'll see you then.
Okay, everybody, welcome back. We are speaking with Eric Smith, uh, author of Church of the Firstborn. When we left, we were talking about the upcoming tribulations and Day of the Gentiles, when that will end, when will the Day of the Tribulations start? Eric, enlighten us. When will they start? (laughs) Well, I don't give dates. I don't have dates, but we do have scriptural patterns. And one of the subjects we touched on here was the, the Day of the Gentiles coming to an end. And interestingly, as the very day Greg and I were writing about this and going back and forth, was this big earthquake in Utah and Moroni's trumpet fell uh, from the top of the Salt Lake City Temple. And uh, we couldn't help but see the signs, the symbolism, and whether people believe that is just a coincidence or not, we don't think it is. We felt that was a clear statement from heaven saying, look, the day has come when the Gentile effort to carry the gospel to the world has come to an end. And interestingly, within, you know, at that time and in weeks to come, missionaries of that church were coming home, and which was a prophesied event. I have quotes from Brigham Young and Heber C. Kimball and Orson Hyde, all talking about this day when missionaries would come home. You know, and it, it's kind of funny to me because if you bring that up, people, are, you know, they don't see it. It's just like, oh, it's a coincidence or, you know, just some crazy event. But no, the, the message is unmistakable. And even then the, the LDS church changes their logo within weeks of that from Moroni to Christ, you know, which I think is a great logo. But if you look at the symbolism of it, it's really saying I've taken the gospel. The duty to take the gospel to the world is going from man to God, and which is also a scriptural pattern. And I can't help but think of two other scripture references there. One is in Peter and one is in Doctrine and Covenants, which says, on my house will it begin. And I, I really feel that the Trumpet following, following from, sorry, falling from Moroni's hands was a literal fulfillment of something happening on his house, and uh, I think it's very possible that that period has at least been announced and will start. If it hasn't started already, will start very soon. I agree with you, and it's funny. I, I talk about that with some of my fellow Christians, and they kind of look at you like, "Oh, you're one of those fringy, crazy, loony prepper types." Right? <laughs> exactly. You're like, well, hey, you're in good company here, though, man. <laughs> They're like, "Well, wait a minute, earthquake. I mean, the trumpet, what it represents, coming down. Like, they won't even hear it. Like, you're just one of those kooks. Get out of here. Right? You know, they, yep. That would be right here in the manual if it were true. It's not here, so just get at it." Yeah, I, yeah. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. You know, I was I was uh, I, I work sometimes some pretty long hours and I was listening to one of my favorites, a quote that you have in here from uh, Ezra Taft Benson, a name some might recognize. And I'll just read a piece of that because I think it's so good. I testify that as the forces of evil, evil increase under Lucifer's leadership, as the forces of good increase under the leadership of Jesus Christ, there will be growing battles between the two until the final confrontation. The issues will become clearer and more obvious. All mankind will eventually be required to align themselves for either the kingdom of God or the kingdom of the devil. Um, and it goes on. I've, I love uh, Ezra Taft Benson. As one of the talks I was hearing him give last night reminded me, I'm, I'm a son of German immigrants, and my parents grew up in Nazi Germany. My dad was in Hitler's youth, and I heard very well. 
um, often the stories of taking the sacrament with a piece of potato peel. And they lived on potato peels for a couple years of the invading armies, like just the sort of hardship that these these things can bring on. Um, Are we preparing? And I think even more importantly, are we preparing to help our neighbor? Because, you know, eventually you can store up enough food to, to feed your family. But I think we may well be part of this remnant. This, If this message resonates with you, I think it's probably for a reason. I love these deja vu feelings. I think when you feel this deja vu, it's kind of a little nudge and a little, a little Roger Roger that you're on the right path. Um, so what, what do you think about the coming tribulations, Eric? What, what, what can we do? Well, you've you mentioned um, physical preparation, which is which is important. And I, when I first got awoken to these latter day themes and tribulations and stuff, I was all about physical preparation. And interestingly, after I got through that phase, then it became more spiritual. And now I, I really have little interest in the physical. I I know that I have a mission to do. I know the Lord's going to protect me and and uh, some loved loved ones, but. So the physical preparation is big, but I really feel it comes down to spiritual preparation and having faith in God and Christ to save us and heal us. And you mentioned remnant, Ralph. I have to go to that word a little bit. If people just kind of think about that word and what it truly means, it's it really is remainder. And so that word in and of itself is a prophecy of things to come. I was, you know, going back to the taboo, taboo scriptural theme in scripture that we we kind of aren't allowed to discuss. Mm-hmm. I I, uh, I noticed um, when I was waking up to these things, I read in Isaiah and found six references. I think I just found another one the other day to how many people will be taken from the earth in the last days. Now, I know that's not a pleasant topic, but it is part of that cleansing period. And um, I don't know why. And I, I just remember when I was reading that, I was like, why do we never talk about this? Why have I never heard about this from pulpits? Why aren't we? There's no shepherd warning of these things. There's no barking dog. Things are coming, and I'm not hearing about this stuff. And anyway... There, the the remnant will be those who survive through those tribulations. They'll be the ones who build this church, and it will be those who have their faith in Christ and God. And um, I I just I think it's going to be for those who make it. And I hate to sound so so bleak, and but but I am optimistic about that group of people and the things they're going to accomplish are going to be remarkable. As they set up this church of the firstborn, it's going to be the most beautiful thing that's ever taken place on this earth. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, as we look out over this world, I, things like this COVID hoax that we're going through now, I, mm-hmm. going back to that quote, it, I think as we stay close to the Lord, we can have this gift of discernment. Um, I, I, I have at no point in time during this COVID hoax even been able to make myself be afraid. And the thing I struggle with um is probably being contemptuous, you know, it makes me a little bit mad when I think of all the people that have lost their jobs for no reason, you know, during this thing. Just the word non-essential. I get, you know, the the, the gal that cuts my uh, kid's hair, she's not she's not unessential. The the dentist that works on her teeth, he, he's not unessential. You know who's unessential? Um Fauci is unessential. Uh, <laughs> Governor Gary Fudd, you're unessential. Salt Lake County Health Department, you guys completely unessential. Um, so, yeah, I think it becomes increasingly important to both not be afraid because 
once fear is such a thief of your focus and your hope and your energy, but so is anger and being contemptuous. So I think looking forward and knowing what's ahead gives us great hope. Um, I'm excited. I have, I'm looking forward to the fall of the kingdom of Baal. Um, I, I won't, I won't lament it a bit when it's gone. I don't know about you guys, but no, no, not at all. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, so anyway, Eric, let me see here what else we is there, well, is there anything else you wanted to talk about regarding the church of the firstborn? Well, I mean, there's a few things I could say. One thing that I I found interesting, there were four surprise themes that came up as we were writing. And I, I think this this might be interesting to your readers. So I'll just go through them real quick. One was the there was a pattern of Jews and Gentiles, then Gentiles and Jews. So in other words, chiasms. In a lot of the scriptures that we used, they were um, chiastic in nature. The second surprise theme was gender. When I sat down to write this portion, I had no intention of covering gender. It was more about um, the leadership and the people that would be in the church. And so I was very surprised to see how things were just flowing on gender. And I think it's a really beautiful part of the, the script, this uh, book that should be really empowering to women. Um, another surprise, well, when women in general was a third theme and how the censorship that uh, has been made by Emperor Constantine and the Deuteronomists mm-hmm. in the Bible, how they've stripped the scriptures of references to women. And this is one of the bigger themes of the book. Um, and then a surprise fourth theme was how much tree imagery was used in the book or in scriptures. Prophets relied on tree imagery to teach powerful lessons. And we uh, we kept scratching our heads and saying, can you believe this? Here's another verse that supports this idea of Church of the Firstborn, and it's built on the back of uh, the tree metaphor. So just interesting themes that came up that we weren't planning on, that we mm-hmm. felt were orchestrated and had a significant part in the story that needed to be told. Awesome. Well, Eric, I could hear about this stuff all day long. Thank you so much for being uh, with us today. Um, uh, We're going to run out of time today. We only have a few seconds left, but I hope you've enjoyed this little visit. Maybe we can get Eric back uh, sometime soon. Eric, do you have any parting words you want to say to our audience in leaving? No, I just want to thank you for having me and hope everyone enjoys the book. And thank you, Ralph. Hey, thank you. Um, doctrinalessays.com, is that your website, Eric? Yeah, and there's a forum there where people can go and leave comments on the book. And okay. that's right, doctrinalessays.com. You won't regret it. Check it out, guys. Have a great weekend. Don't forget to say your prayers, and we will see you next week. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.